politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, and property for the last time this year. It is Friday, December 15th. This is our last show of the year, but as I told you, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, We don't have time to take off, so I will be putting out videos at our Rumble channel, see our podcast with Daniel Horowitz. A um, couple days next week, I'll be at Patriot Academy, so I'll be a l- little bit light. But when I come back, I'll be posting there. I'll be on Twitter. I'll be putting out articles. We're going to be working on our state legislative session agenda for the coming year. Look, you could always email me, Daniel Horowitz at, e- at startmail.com. I am going nowhere because there is so much to do. <laughs> because this has been a horrible, terrible, awful, no good year for anyone who considers themselves a patriot. And that leads us to our final show today. You know, I have not had on Governor Ron DeSantis uh, all year, probably not for a couple of years, uh, because as you well know, even though I strongly support him, I am not defined by any one election and certainly not any one candidate or presidential candidate. What we have done here is we have focused on the breadth and depth of the important issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. We cover legislative sessions in the states, in Congress. We cover primaries up and down the ballot. We cover issues, economic border, green energy. Obviously, COVID, the vaccines, has been very big the last couple years. I'm not defined by any one one man. You know, whoever wins the primary will not determine... Uh, what I do for a living, what I focus on. And as I've said many times before, that we are in such deep trouble, no one man is going to solve this problem. And if we only focused on making red states red, our local areas, picture you know these counties, certainly states, but counties, other political subdivisions that vote 60, 40, 70, 30, Republican, if we only made those Republicans, well, real Republicans, and the policies that flow from them representative of our values, whoever ultimately becomes president would kind of be moot, at least on domestic policy issues. But unfortunately, every time I say, well, you know, presidential election doesn't really matter, it's this, it's that, the problem is... In theory, it's true. In theory, we could accomplish a lot just within the areas that vote Republican alone. But practically, we haven't done that, and we're not going to do that. Because absent a leader from the top to set the tone and lean in to the party to remake it, it's not going to happen. I mean, I'm going to still fight for that. We're going to fight in the legislative sessions. But it's like trying to fight Gaza block by block. It's too slow relative to all the harms we're incurring on every policy issue. We're out of time. We're out of time. So, yes, with just one month left from today to the Iowa caucuses, it is worth it when you have someone this good that has not come up for an entire generation This is not just a matter of rhetoric. This is proof of concept. 
in terms of everything he has accomplished on a multitude of issues. We'll talk about that on the other side of the interview with the governor. Uh, News every day about outcomes, outcomes. Generational shifts you're seeing in Florida. Education, culture, economy. We're not seeing that anywhere else. You know, those of you who think maybe DeSantis is underwhelming, you know, I don't know. I think we can do better. I hear you. But then my, my next question to you is, who, el- who else is in the pipeline? Because I can't find anyone. And, and don't bring me some sort of talk show host name. Oh, Daniel, I love you. Yeah, I'm good at talking. But try getting elected to the third largest state, which was formerly a swing state. Implement all of that and then win it by 20. We don't have that. I wish DeSantis would be nothing. You know, just, yeah, well, that's kind of the baseline of what we, you would expect in a state like Florida. And you go to West Virginia, Idaho, Alabama, Oklahoma, Wyoming, the Dakotas. Man, I mean, we'd be running up the score even more. But we're not. And it's not going to happen until we have a systemic leadership change at the top. Now, if this thing is over with after Iowa, New Hampshire, and Trump winds up winning, so be it. We deal with the hand that we have, and we move on from there. But it certainly is worth it to take yes for an answer for the next few weeks and actually try to make this happen. So that's why I figured we're going to end off the year hearing from the man himself and, and see what he has to say juxtaposed to what he actually has done, which is really what's missing with a lot of other people. Remember, it's very easy to be a based entertainer and talk show host. doesn't cost anything. <laughs> Although I, I must say, even my colleagues in this position, they're still scared to say the right things when all you have to do is talk. Imagine when you're going up against inveterate, entrenched uh, constituencies and special interests, federal funding, race politics, the media trashing you every day. So certainly, you know, if you're just a talk show host, it's easy to say the right thing, but evidently not. But then you can imagine elected officials. Again, once in a while, you could find the guy running for some sort of office. That guy sounds amazing, but he has no chance of ever getting anywhere for a low-level office, much less a high-level office. And even if he did, you always wonder, you know, he's a big talker, but you roll the dice, put him in there, can he actually implement? You know, it's interesting, just yesterday, the news came out, in Florida, they are seeking the death penalty for the first time for a child rapist. It wasn't just a cute talking point, where he's like, yeah, we're going to institute the death penalty. There's follow-through. There's Follow through. You're actually seeing change. It's not perfect. One man is limited. You know, in in just a matter of five years, he's been there. You got to build on it. But again, where is the number two DeSantis, the number three, the number four? They're not on the horizon. We got crushed in Congress. Most red states are garbage. I, I have a bunch of news I can't even... Don't even have time to get to. South Carolina, they're they're groveling for electric vehicle jobs there. Uh, the government there is horrendous. 
Thank God we have the State Freedom Caucus there, which is doing a good job, and we're going to be working with them in the current legislative sessions. But we have not changed the game since the Tea Party, since MAGA. It has not changed. The only thing that has changed is the success of the left-wing implementation of their ideas and the devastating consequences thereof, giving us more of a sense of urgency that we can't keep playing this game, this failure theater. So I want to get to the governor for today so you could hear in his own voice. Um, I wish I had a little bit more time. Uh, hopefully uh, later on we'll, you know, if this progresses, we'll be able to have a more in-depth this discussion. I usually like in-depth discussions. Um, but, you know, we're going to try to take it to some new ground that you haven't heard before. Uh, first, our interview segment today is sponsored by our friends at Birch Gold. Uh, oh, my gosh. I mean, gold has really gone up exponentially this year. And we're about a couple weeks away from tax season. And what I try to do is every season, I always try to owe the government rather than them taking out. And then I find any way I can to just take that money and not give it to them. And one of the ways is putting it into an IRA, 401k retirement account. You get about 6500 per spouse for an IRA. Where are you going to put that money? Okay, stock market's at an all-time high, and uh, you're funding wokeness. Stock market's fake. Now is a time to have something of value. Birch Gold specializes in converting your IRA or 401k into something of value, gold or silver. Silver also is a good investment now. Uh, with gold being so high. So text Daniel to 989898, and they'll send you a free info kit on gold. You could see the different products they have. And if you're confused about the process, you call them, you get a phone number. And these aren't a bunch of like, you know, foreigners somewhere. These are like Ron Paul type economists that you'll speak to on the phone. Uh, so again, text Daniel to 989898 to claim your free info kit to have something of value to fall back upon. When the you know what hits the fan. So, as promised, folks, we've talked all year long about the successes of Florida and how it's really unique of all 50 states. And wouldn't it be nice to replicate that and build on that at a, at a federal level? Well, today, to cap off our year, we do have the governor and presidential candidate here at the Blaze. Governor DeSantis, thanks for joining us. It's been way too long. Yeah, no. How you doing? Well, I mean, Governor, honestly, I'm not in a good mood. I'm really not. I mean, you just look back at the year. Republicans take over Congress. They did nothing on the budget, nothing on the debt ceiling, nothing on the NDAA. Uh, now they're tacking on the FISA reauthorization, so they don't even use that expiration deadlines as leverage. Um, the sense that a lot of us are getting is that despite the Tea Party, when you and I first met in 2012, despite the Trump MAGA movement 2016, we could all laugh at Nikki Haley that she's not going to go anywhere in the presidential election. I don't think she will. But down ballot, when you look at most of the governors, there's some exceptions. There's there's Governor Reynolds, one or two others. You look at the senators. You look at most of the congressmen. Fundamentally, this is the Nikki Haley donor party, and they have not changed. So let's say you're to win the primary, you become president. How do you change the culture of the party to be oriented towards the voters and not the donors? The same way we did it in Florida. When I became governor of Florida, 
the state of Florida, I mean, it was a good state. Um, you know, it was it was well run, but it was very much a, a chamber of commerce type republicanism. And that's really what they focused on. Uh, I came in, we set uh, an agenda, uh, we had a vision. And then as more of these threats from the left came up, we were very aggressive in fending them off and in, and in tackling these issues. And I think a lot of Republicans had not wanted to get involved in some of these things. They just wanted to kind of cut taxes and just let, just let everything else go. But if you take that position, the left controls almost every institution in our society right now. And so you're basically saying that your voters are going to get steamrolled uh, by a leftist agenda. And so I've stood in the breach on all of that. We've had tremendous success. And so what ends up happening is you, know, you still have the, these establishment elements and, and, they're, and they're part of the overall coalition, but they are not driving the train in the state of Florida. And I think that's the reason why we've had uh, such good success. So I think it just requires uh, presidential leadership. And when you're out there doing it, voters will respond to, to our agenda. And these guys are going to get in line. I mean, they will get in line. I think right now there's just an absence of leadership. I think that you have these guys got in. Part of it is because there was a narrow majority. It was a, it, it was a, a disappointing election. I mean, I don't know that we've ever had an environment to run in in 2022, uh, since 2022, that, that was better in terms of bad opposition president, bad economy, inflation, all these problems, open border crime. We should have been able to win 240, 250 House seats, no problem. Uh, and that really crashed and burned. Uh, so they went in there and I think that and, and didn't win the Senate. So that is part of the problem. But yes, it's just about leadership. It's putting forth the vision. I did things in Florida that resonated with the people and not just the base voters. Uh, far beyond that, I mean, independents and even Democrats backed us on fighting Disney to ensure parents' rights and not have gender ideology in the schools. Uh, when we were standing up against COVID authoritarianism, that spanned the political spectrum. When we've taken action against illegal immigration, that has broad support. So uh, you can't just let the establishment, obviously, you know, you know, call shots. You've got to be the one to do it. But when you do it, the people do are with you. And these guys do have to fall in line. And that's what happened in Florida. So from where I sit, you know, I see almost all of these senators from deep red states. I mean, look, the Senate Republicans make the House Republicans look like the founding fathers. I mean, they're just they're just awful. They fundamentally disagree with us on every issue. But, you know, you have those from Mississippi, North Dakota, a couple other states. They're in cycle. They will not get primaries. Incidentally, they have all endorsed Trump. Um, Trump has pretty much endorsed every incumbent establishment Republican that his supporters don't like for the last eight years, with the exception of cases where it was personal. Would you change policy as party leader and as sitting president? towards automatically endorsing incumbent Republicans? I think we need to reevaluate the whole way we approach this with these primaries, because uh, the reality is when you're talking about a federal race, whether Congress or U.S. Senate, uh, that the thumb on the scale, the way it is now, are for incumbents and for the more establishment donor class oriented candidates. You know, if you had things like caucuses or conventions uh, that did that, I think you would see things that are more representative uh, of our voter base. But I think what these guys are able to do, you know, they can raise a lot of money. They run ads saying that they're conservative. And then when they get up, 
they're not being conservative. And so that's, I think, part of the reason why Trump was able to get traction in the party, because people were so fed up with a lot of this. I think now what some of these folks are able to do is what they will do is they will they will say they're for Trump, they're for Trump. And then they it kind of gives them a, a, a hall pass to then be very liberal when they're actually voting and, and behaving in Washington. And that, in some respects, you know, it makes it even worse because they get a pass on that, whereas they wouldn't in, in other situations. So those dynamics, I don't think, are working in favor of conservatives right now. We'll alter those fundamentals. We'll make sure that we're able to, to do what you need to do uh, in Florida. You know, I got involved in, in some of the primaries in, in, in the House and Senate, and we were able to elect some some really, really good people. And, uh, you know, I'm not asking for somebody that's just going to be uh, a yes man for me as the executive. I mean, I want people that are going to be going to be strong candidates are going to be willing to fight these fights. No, exactly. I mean, it takes a, it takes a entire movement, a party. One man is not enough. Moving on to some issues. I know we, we have limited time here. Um, immigration enforcement. So every Republican suddenly agrees with border security. Um, but the reality is most of them don't remain at the border. They go to every city. So this is a problem to, uh, for the cities, a problem for the states. And we all know you invite them, they come. You don't invite them, they don't come. Would you support allowing states to kind of reclaim that authority they had in the 19th century since the founding to regulate Sir, at least those that that aren't given affirmative status by the federal government, they come here illegally to deport. We only have six thousand ERO agents uh, to deport. Gosh knows how many millions there now. Um, do you feel that that is the way to go? To go with state removals, buttressing federal enforcement? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think states should be able to enforce robustly federal immigration law. I mean, this whole idea of the supremacy clause, it's one thing if the states are doing something in conflict with federal law, but what a lot of states want to do is is we just want to enforce federal law when the federal government's not doing it. And then somehow they say that, that that's a supremacy clause violation because the federal government has some right to just not enforce the law. So yes, you, you we're going to deputize all the states to be able to deport people, particularly when they come across the border and like Texas, if you can just deport them right away, not only does that mean they're not going to go in the interior of your country, it also makes it less likely more people will come to begin with if they know that that's something that can happen. For example, in Florida, I'm not a I'm not a land border state, but I'm a maritime state. So we have boats that 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 come or try to come from Haiti and Cuba and these places. The Coast Guard is that's their job to interdict, but they don't have enough support. So I started sending boats to help the Coast Guard. We'd interdict people. We'd turn them over to the Coast Guard. Coast Guard would send them back to say Haiti. And you know what? When people saw that that was what was happening. We had much fewer people try to come because why would you want to go take this trek if the result is going to be you're just going to end up back where you started? So, yes, state enforcement is a no-brainer. We're also going to go on offense over these blue states if they're not willing to enforce federal immigration law, if they're not willing to honor ICE detainers and they're releasing dangerous illegal aliens back on the street. Uh, We'll use uh, federal grants, uh, power of the purse. We'll use everything we have at our disposal uh, to be able to – to condition that behavior because uh, what they're doing is uh, it's been dangerous for their own communities. Now, putting aside all of the legal immigration, we, we now have new census data that we're pushing 50 million um, total immigrants in this country, greatest share of the immigrant population we've ever had. 
also very divergent in terms of cultures. We have people coming from all over. Um, you know, this it poses questions economically, culturally, socially. Would you support a cool off period on legal immigration under your presidency? We cannot have mass immigration both illegal or legal. And that you see what's happened in Europe where they've brought in massive numbers of people who don't want to assimilate into their society uh, and who are trying to to change those societies into the image of the places where they left. And so uh, the only way I think it works is it has to be individualized and it has to be people that are willing to assimilate. And so uh, we're going to do a major, major overhaul of how that's done. Uh, We are not going to be taking in refugees from places like the Gaza Strip. Uh, We're going to be very concerned about uh, what would be imported into our country? You know, we had, and when we had big immigration in the late 1800s, early 1900s, you know, that was mostly from Western societies. Sure. Uh, there were obviously differences, but the assimilation was something that, particularly after the 1924 immigration law, which 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 uh, cooled off uh, uh, legal immigration, that really led to um, an assimilation into the American middle class, and so immigrants from uh, from Ireland, from Southern Europe, Eastern Europe, all that, you know, they really became Americans. I think now, you know, you're bringing people in regardless of, of what, what they're bringing with them. Why would you want to bring toxic cultures into this country? Europe is finding out the hard way. So I can guarantee people we are not going to replay, repeat the mistakes of Europe. Uh, I am not somebody like Nikki Haley who says that there should be no limit on, on legal immigration and just let CEOs figure out what they want. And I'm going to be incredibly sensitive uh, to the culture that we that we would be importing uh, w- with the immigration system. And we're just not going to repeat uh, the mistakes that we've seen throughout the rest of the world. When it comes to draining the swamp, you have agencies like the EPA and the FBI that it's very evident, it's not a few bad apples, it's a systemic cultural problem where in the FBI, for example, they're not really bothered by the Hamas insurrection we're seeing in the country, they're bothered by people like me. Um, I'm actually more concerned of the FBI knocking on my door than I am even Islamic terrorism, even given who I am and what I say. And, you know, it's something I talk about with my wife. I, I never would have imagined that a few years ago. Now, you said you're going to obviously get a new agency head. I have no doubt we can find people maybe at the department and agency level. But, you know, there, there's several thousand political appointees. How do you go about finding enough competent conservatives who share our values to fill those positions. This has been a problem in the past Republican administrations, including under Trump. It's already being done in terms of uh, people that are submitting resumes with conservative groups. Uh, you're going to have thousands and thousands and thousands of, of people that are going to be wanting to serve. And I don't think you can just rearrange kind of the deck chairs on the Titanic within D.C. You can't just recycle people there. You got to ask people, hey, you know, you're in you're in Utah. You got to take your family for two, four, six, eight years to come to Washington to help return this government to its rightful owners. And that's the message we're going to be doing. Uh, that that work is already underway. Uh, we're going to be ready on day one uh, to submit thousands of people to the Senate to be able to do a, a big confirmation of a lot of those lower level people. But we're also going to uh, look at how the hiring process works in some of these agencies. I mean, clearly, there's a cultural problem in, in an agency like the FBI 
And yes, part of that is the leadership, but I think it's also part of how they're recruiting uh, and, and who they're trying to bring into the organization. So, so you're going to see a major overhaul there. You're also going to see if an FBI agent is uh, surveilling a parent, say, going to school board meeting, like, I'm going to fire that person. Uh, we're going to wield Article Two power. You know, let them sue me. That's fine. But you don't have a right to abuse your power. Uh, we're going to overhaul who's, who's even included in civil service. So there's going to be – we're going to pull a lot of different levers with respect to this because I think it's a, it's a fundamental question about who governs. Like, yes, they're doing things that we don't like, uh, and that can range from abusing power and weaponized power. It can also just be uh, overreach of the bureaucracy, getting involved in the economy, forcing electric vehicles, doing some of these things, which are bad policy. But the more, I think, fundamental level uh, – fundamental issue is – we have elections. We elect an executive every four years. And if the response of the entrenched bureaucracy is just kind of laugh and shrug their shoulders, then that means we're not our own rulers. And we've seen this fourth branch of government metastasize for many, many decades. We either deal with it or we're just never going to get control of this. So I think this is a real focal point in 2024. And you're right. I mean, Trump, he didn't make a dent um, in the swamp. I mean, not a dent. He put a lot of people in positions that were part of the swamp and, and obviously made a lot of bad hires. Uh, even he, he, he attacks a lot of the people he appointed now uh, doing that. I don't know how he would be able to find the type of personnel we would need uh, in a hypothetical second term if he could even even get elected. Whereas I think I would be able to attract the type of people we need who are really going to be mission-driven, understanding it's not about them, understanding that there's going to be a lot of friction when you're doing the right thing, you're going to get attacked, uh, but this mission's important. One more point on that. You're governor of Florida. You have robust law enforcement, state, local why do we even need an FBI to meddle in every last case? And would you support limiting their purview to just a couple things, maybe international terrorism, sex trafficking, things like that? Well, they, their their role is to enforce the, the, the things that the federal government uh, should be doing when they're getting involved in a lot of the stuff, the school board stuff, that has nothing to do with the federal government. When they're trying to police disinformation, uh, that is totally inappropriate for the federal government to be doing. And so the abuse of power and the weaponization is, is bad in of itself, but it's also just created mission creep where, you know what, I do want federal law enforcement uh, cracking down on international sex trafficking. I do want f uh, federal law enforcement uh, cracking down on, on some of the stuff that's happening um, in the inner cities that, that would uh, implicate federal jurisdiction. I want the federal government um, law enforcement to be involved in, in, in combating terrorism. And I think the more that they become a political entity, uh, they take their eye off the ball of what they should be doing and they're due. So you will have a much narrower scope uh, of, of federal law enforcement, but I actually think it'll, it'll end up being much more effective and it'll be things that I think the public is, um, is, is happy with instead of what's happened now. But yes, they, they, They've, they've way, way overshot, uh, I think, their appropriate mandate. Well, certainly a lot more to go over. Hopefully we'll, we'll uh, broach that at a later date. How can people help out people who want to help organize for the caucuses in Iowa? Yeah, if you go to our website, uh, which is rondesantis.com, uh, you can also text FREEDOM 
to 512345. Text FREEDOM to 512345. Uh, we have more uh, commitment to caucus uh, uh, folks uh, today than has ever had uh, a month out of the caucus. Uh, we've got all counties organized. We've got a lot of great, uh, great momentum. Uh, clearly, the media has a narrative about what they want to see, and that certainly doesn't involve me being the president of the United States. But I think that voters out there, conservatives, should know if the media uh, doesn't want me, then that must mean I do a pretty doggone good job. Well, continue to give the Uniparty hell. Good luck, and we'll speak to you later. Take care. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. So, folks, again, that was Governor DeSantis in his own words. And uh, look, you know, I, I know a lot of you will be like, well, you should ask him this, ask him that. It was a really a short segment. I like to do 45-minute interviews or something like that, so I hope to do that in the future, in the coming days, um, assuming it will still be relevant uh, but let me know your thoughts. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Uh, I will be checking email. Look, I won't be as available uh, the next couple of days. Like I said, I'll be out of Patriot Academy. Um, but I want to get into some post-interview analysis and then sew up some final loose ends before we call it quits for this horrible 2023. Uh, looking forward to a better 2024. Uh, this segment, our final segment, is sponsored by my good friend Phil Robertson's movie, The Blind, a Phil Robertson story. As a lot of people uh, spend some time with family, it's good good family time or time with your uh, spouse to watch his story of redemption, very apropos this time of year. Uh, Phil Robertson was not always the man you see today, the man, the legend. Uh, he had his trials, his triumphs, and he really goes to the values that shaped him through the years that led him to find God terrific uh movie that i can't recommend enough blaze tv.com slash the blind for for uh downloading it for 1999 that's blaze tv.com slash the blind and folks we all need a redemption because too many people can't see something right in front of them take yes for an answer no one's perfect no one's gonna say and do everything exactly the way we want but my gosh Someone who gets it. You you see the authenticity. Um, you you hear the words bleed through. Juxtaposed to his actions, he wakes up every day obsessing about the issues, how we could lean into something. With Trump, it was like he was his separate entity, you know, playing around with Kim Kardashian in the White House. Just today, uh, Ivanka was hanging around with with Kim Kardashian because they're good friends. While the same Republican Party just did what it did, including his own cabinet that he picked, kept the, the show going. Whereas DeSantis will take over the party, which is why they're so resistant to him, which is why you're seeing this alliance between Nikki Haley and, and her uh, uh, backers and, and Trump. They're all working together. Trump's like, hey, I might debate her. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Like he said he did in Florida. And this is the thing. I could continue saying, let's focus on a state freedom caucus here. Let's focus on a legislator here. And we'll do that. You got to do what you, you can do. You uh, try to make lemonade with the lemons you're dealt. But at the end of the day, and we see this at a state level, if you don't have a governor driving the narrative, it, it, it's just not going to change. And, and at a federal level too, 
And even if you think the federal government is irremediably broken, as I as I pretty much do, but if you want to change the paradigm of who runs for office, it's going to take someone like that at the top. And if you don't fully like him, well, then who is that person? So just, just to digest a couple things, one thing I found very surprising, I did not expect this. I never talked to him about this. So, you know, I asked him a question no one else has asked. I said, look, you know, Trump made it his policy to always endorse the incumbent, except if there was something personal, he always endorsed the incumbent. And that's how he made it, that we did not drain the swamp one iota, and the establishment keeps winning races. And to this day, every Senate rhino that screws us on every issue is going to get reelected. And interestingly enough, you know, so I thought he would just say, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to necessarily do that. He said, we need to overhaul it with caucuses and conventions. So he endorsed our idea that uh, we need to overhaul the way we do primaries. And that is very significant because it's going to take a visionary, a party leader to do that. Otherwise, I just don't see a path to doing that. But I believe that is my greatest idea I have that is the biggest force multiplier. If you change the way we do primaries to conventions, it would be a world of a difference. By the way, you know, we had Bob Goodon, one of the best congressmen out there. He's the new chairman of the Freedom Caucus. He was on the show yesterday. Bob Good is a product of that. Now, Virginia has a middle ground. They have conventions, but it's ultimately not binding. Ultimately, they do have a primary, but it, it wields some influence. And you see, he was one of the few people who was able to use that momentum of winning the convention to beat a sitting incumbent in a primary. But unless you do that, as the governor noted, it's just not going to happen. They have too much power built up. Not going to happen. Obviously, he's rock solid on legal immigration. He always was. Um, when I worked with him when he was on House Judiciary Committee, uh, he always believed in reducing legal immigration as well. Um, and, you know, again, he understands it. He'll articulate it in a way that won't make us look like a bunch of idiots and will actually get it done. The Trump Hall pass he talked about. I mean, it's it's very true. We saw that, again, with Bob Hall is literally the most MAGA congressman you could ever get. But he's supporting DeSantis, so he's now garbage. But if you're the biggest globalist leftist, you get a hall pass. And the guy who gets the ultimate hall pass is not just the people supporting Trump, but Trump himself. I mean, I was reminded today as I watched, um, you know, Ivanka pal around with Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian had home field advantage during the Trump administration. You and I did not. We were always playing an away game. We were always battling that. We won't have that under this guy. You know, even on issues that you'd like to see him just be more emotionally in sync with where you're let, let's, you know, like I, I would I would abolish the FBI. We had this discussion over the FBI. I don't think we need it at all. But he will actually lean into it. Like if there's a problem, we could bring it to his attention and he'll get it done. Whereas these other guys, they, they'll, they'll talk a 10 and you won't even get a 2 or they're just irrelevant. Like Vivek Ramaswampy, I mean, look, his brand is to dive into everything full force, whatever's there. So, I mean, he, 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 he was the first to celebrate Juneteenth and now he's like the white genocide. You know, I mean, 
he'll just read through him. But I mean, he's running to be a talk show host. He's not going anywhere, so he could say anything he wants. And, you know, when he talks about outcomes, like I said, just today, we see that Florida is seeking the death penalty for the first child rapist. The first time since the Supreme Court, uh, you know, stupidly and unconstitutionally uh, banned it. So you get results. Here's another thing. So, for example, uh, we're seeing that other red states are starting to ban COVID fascism. They're starting to ban the tranny agenda, depending on the state. They, 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 you know, have mandatory verify or, you know, have laws clamping down on illegal aliens, but they don't enforce it. There's no follow through. Daily Signal reports Florida school punished for allowing boy and girl sports. So basically a high school, high school in a, uh, Broward County, they decided to challenge the law and allowed a boy to participate in a uh, female sports team. And uh, they're going after them right away. It's a volleyball team right away. Manny Diaz is the Secretary of Education. And by the way, you know people like Latipo and Manny Diaz, that's, that's very unique. You don't see that in another state. Very few of them. And then... You find, where is this? The Chronicle on, of Higher Education. Okay, there's an article here from Margot Suska um, and Alex Engel. They have an article t- titled, Why Faculty Members Are Fleeing Florida. By the time she took a faculty, faculty position with Florida State University College of Law, Mary Ziegler had earned a degree from Harvard, worked as a postdoctoral associate at Yale, and clerked at the Vermont Supreme Court. You can imagine how bad that is. After joining the Tallahassee-based university in 2013, her academic career soared. And they talk about her work in the top journals and everything. But last year, nearly a decade after arrival, Ziegler resigned. Her reason? Dismay at the way that Governor DeSantis was using the state's college as political battlefields. That made me feel like I couldn't stay, she said. I didn't want to have a career there. Data from the 12 public institutions in the State University System of Florida, analyzed by reporters at the investigative reporting workshop at American University, show she was not alone. Nine of them saw a significant spike in faculty resignations in 2022. U of F saw a 20% increase in tenured and tenured track faculty resignations, a total of 391 since 2021. 136 faculty members resigned in 2022, up 28% from from the prior year. And this is what progress looks like. This is what we dreamt of. This is what we always wanted. What we always said we wanted, or did we actually want it? This is what change looks like. And you saw it from day one. He has now chucked like over 300 people, whether they're university, um, board of governors, officials, local officials, because you have that authority in Florida. You know, he chucked over 100 Rick Scott appointees. Meaning 
we have this problem of Republicans coming in and not draining the Democrats in positions within the executive branch of the federal or respective state levels. He chucked his predecessor Republican picks. And by the way, that's why Rick Scott, there's a lot of bad blood there. And Rick Scott, of course, endorsed Mitte Twomp. It's like, take yes for an answer. It's right there in front of you. No, unlike the Trump people, we're not going to worship him. We think he's weak on an issue. We'll push him. But he'll be receptive to that. And we don't think this is the end all. But certainly, within the next month or two, boy, is there a lot of bang for the buck if we went all out and got him to win Iowa and build momentum to possibly win the nomination. It's worth it to see it through. Oh, I think Trump's going to... Well, we'll see. We'll see. It's worth it for a month or two because he will be a force multiplier. Without that, it's going to be that much more difficult to go anywhere else. You know, I was initially, as you well know, and I, I articulated this, I had mixed feelings, and I still do to a certain extent, about him running. And, and basically, my premise was that... Uh, I, I, you know, I, I felt, again, making Red States Red is a bigger job, a more important job, more achievable job than somehow fixing the federal government. Um, I feel that's where we need to head. We need to head towards national divorce. And I was concerned about just this. I, I felt, and I, I saw this coming, I felt that the conservative media and movement is so corrupt it's too tethered to Trump. There is nothing that he can do to get them away. And we, we saw this for eight years. And I felt that before he ran, he was universal on the right. And he and, and we needed to use that unity behind him to just be a leader in making red states red. Whereas if you run, then all of a sudden he is going to be treated like garbage for most of the right. And the message that's going to be sent to every other governor is rather than you better be like DeSantis, it's going to be more, more like, ha, 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 look, you know, this is how you're treated by the right. I could just continue being that rhino, get a hall pass, and, um, you know, support Trump, which they're all doing. Every one of them. Every one of them. Everyone. Something that rhymes with Tucker recently said that nobody in the establishment wants Trump. What the hell are you talking about? Roger Wicker endorsed him. Hoven in North Dakota endorsed him. All these globalists, I mean, the armpit of everything MAGA says they hate, they're endorsing him. Because A, they get a hall pass, and B, they work together. And that's the new Haley-Trump alliance. It's a joke. It's all personal. We don't have time for this. We don't have time for this. I'm sick of this. It's got to end. But anyway, that's why I didn't want him to run. But the problem is, I realized, what was I saying? No, forget about the presidency. Let's just focus on making red states red again. But we're not going to make the red states red again unless we have a leader at the top. We're not. We haven't. I've tried for 15 years. People don't realize this is nothing personal between Trump and DeSantis. As you well know, my views, I have not articulated a single point of consternation with Trump that I did not articulate long before DeSantis. 
while he was president, before he was president, when he was running the first time. There's not a single thing that's new if you listen to me back then. It's not like, you know, these other people, once you have personalities running, they start changing their views to accommodate that person running. Nothing has changed. And and conversely, my support of DeSantis has nothing to do with, oh, oh, yeah, I happen to know him and he's running for president, so oh, now I support. Do you know how I know him? <laughs> I know him because I was working during that Tea Party era to try to change Republicans in the primaries. And he was one of the ones I came across running in Florida 6th District, you know, between Daytona Beach and Jacksonville in 2012. And I listened to the guy. I was like, whoa, there's something different here. It was an open seat. It wasn't an incumbent. It was an open, solid conservative seat. And that's how I got to know him. It's not like, oh, yeah, you know, you're into presidential. No, it has nothing to do with that. It was an outgrowth of focusing long before these reactionary forces knew where the bathroom was in fighting the establishment. And ironically, Trump is the new establishment. This is the funny thing. Nothing has changed. I'm watching the same things that happened Why I was the only one willing to step out and challenge McConnell. My famous essay, Storming the Castle, going after McConnell in the primary in 2014, nobody joined me. And there's a lot of names out there that are like, oh, oh Mitch McConnell was terrible. They, they, they were like, why are you going after him? He's good on judges. He's, we need him. He's a great, effective leader in the Senate. And now suddenly, oh, no, because he's yesterday's hat. But Trump is the new McConnell. The same way nobody, everyone would say, but the left, but the left. But it was always the fact that, well, if you only focused on making the red areas red and every R plus five or greater district, you had a patriot, but 90% of them we actually don't, you would change the party. But no one wanted to go after them because the Republican Party was their meal ticket. So Trump is just the new iteration of the Republican Party. He's their meal ticket. So nobody could say the 800 pound gorilla in the room. And this is how Tucker could look you in the eye and say, it's terrible how people won't apologize for the vaccines while endorsing, saying what, I'm a sucker for Trump, he told Megyn Kelly recently, and then sitting across from him twice in an interview and not asking him a word about it. It's a, it's a complete joke. And by the way, one other thing I want to say about the governor, and I just want to move on to uh, one other issue, is that a lot of people think, well, if not for Trump, it's, you know, it's their attachment to Trump. If not for him, then the, the so-called conservative movement would unify behind DeSantis. I actually think that would not happen at this point. And in retrospect, I don't think it was ever going to happen. Um, let's say for whatever reason they take Trump out of contention. I think they would downright recruit. Either they try to somehow blow up Ramaswampy or they would recruit Christy Nome. Big establishment person, but that's fine. You know, as long as you talk the talk, you don't have to walk the walk and get results. Or someone else. Uh, some Carrie Lake type of figure. And the reason is because Donald Trump offers a fiesta. There's a whole circle jerk movement. They have these shows and they all go on each other's shows and they enjoy themselves and they sell their brand. And often they'll say things we all agree with, but it's to no end. It's to no end. I'm not interested in exposing the left 
Ooh, what other things are we been lied to? Is 9-11 a lie? Are there really aliens flying around? This is Tucker now. It's like, that that's his brand. I'm not interested in them. I'm interested in us. They're raping us. I need to get them off of us. Okay, I mean, that, that could be a part of it, some of that, but not as an end to itself. We need imminent, immediate relief from the top five, ten things they're doing to us. What is your strategy for that? That's what we need. Nothing more, nothing less. So anyway, they offer this entire patronage movement. Now, I will say, the governor has to get better at that if he wants to succeed. There's an element you got to do in politics. But with him, there's there's no fiesta. He doesn't put on a smorgasbord. It, it's kind of like, you know, it's just down to business. Again, th- there's a lot of profundity if you look at some of their attacks on him. There's an element of truth to it. So they call him, they will literally call him autistic. That's one of the things they call him. And, you know, a lot of you might be offended by that, a slander. But the, I'll tell you where they're coming from. Where they're coming from is they think he's not normal. Because a normal person acts like a sleazy politician. He literally will like obsess about issues. And they think that's autistic. That's not normal. And and honestly, it isn't normal. We haven't had someone like that. I thought that's what we wanted, but I guess not. So he doesn't offer a game. That's the thing. He doesn't offer access, 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 access Hollywood. That's all they care about. See, DeSantis is an existential threat to their existence. Again, put Trump on a a shelf. Let's say Trump rides off into the sunset tomorrow. They still can't back him. Because they need someone that will be part of that fiesta. So they'll just create someone. uh, Bruce Jenner, Rick Grinnell. One of these guys in that orbit. Don Jr., sleazebag to the nth degree. Doesn't share our values on a single issue. But that's fine, you know, out there pimping Bud Light, Bruce Jenner. But that's their axis. DeSantis is kind of an off-the-beaten-path guy. He really is. He's just an off-the-beaten-path guy. It's random how he got to where he is. He doesn't have, like, he doesn't have his, a movement. He has his own people that are smart, good lawyers that, that are dedicated. He found the few... People that are actually good at what they do and share our values. There's very few people like that. And they're they're not in that circle. And they, they're bothered by it. He doesn't give access. Now, to a certain extent, maybe it's worth, you know, you got to bring people in to a certain extent if you want to win. But that's what they're bothered by. Daniel, I hate politics. And I want a non-politician. And then you finally get it. And you spit on the guy and you mock him. So you deserve what you get. It's pathetic. And, and folks, why do you think he came on my show? Okay, a little self-deprecation here. I, don't, I have a fraction of the audience of the big hitters. We're very influential because we focus on the issues that matter and the way they matter at the time they matter. So it goes around. And, you know, people on the right of influence will obviously take my ideas, which is why we try to push ideas. But beyond that, you don't have to deal with me. You don't have to pander to me. There's no reason to, right, if you're, if you, 
you know, you, you're on Tucker's show, you're going to want to pander to him because he has a huge audience. You know, Megan Kelly, all those people at the top there, you're going to want to get get access to a lot of people. There's no reason, you know. You know, remember, like I, I, I wish I could have gotten 45 minutes out of him. Um, I was already pushing it. You know, they were texting me, he's got to go, he's got to go. Um, you know, obviously, you can imagine. I mean, he's an underdog. He cannot afford one minute of time, you know, to be taken out of Iowa. Why did he come on this program? Th- think about that for a minute. Like, it, it doesn't do much for him. Okay? Why Why is he, you know, why, why is he um, playing ball with a guy like me? I don't offer much. It's because... He shares our values. He thinks the way you and I do. And he's attracted to that. And, and you know, that's, that's what he'll do. I mean, he's the type of guy, like, if you're being an idiot, I don't care how big your audience is. Screw you. I don't care. Now, maybe some of that is to his detriment politically. But it says a lot. I have always judged it. Who is willing to come on my show? Because... You know, I've had people that would ask in a primary and then come the general election, like Senate candidates, oh, well, not so much. Because, you know, I would embarrass them because they don't want to look like they're so far right or whatever in a general election. But that's the thing. I am I am very much off the beaten path. Okay? You know, I'll, I'll be very honest with you. As, as you well know, I don't need to tell you I'm not well promoted anywhere. Um, I'm kind of like just out, out in the corner. No one's going to indulge me. Not really going to criticize me, but just not take notice at all. Because there's a problem if this sort of brand got elevated. And DeSantis is the closest thing we have had to this brand. Someone who is... I I mean, these terms are meaningless, but I'm just going to use the term as far right as you can get. But actually do it in a way that sounds smart, consistent, mature, well-grounded in a way that is going to lead to successful outcomes. The left and the system needs a false dichotomy. And the Republican Party establishment in itself needs the false dichotomy. So what the Republican Party has right now is a problem. On the one hand, if you look at, at, and we could see this with the primary polling, what Chris Christie and Nikki Haley get, there's about 20% of the electorate you know, some of the ups, not everyone, but but some of the upscale suburban white-collar individuals um, who still vote Republican, you know, that, that sort of brand resonates with them. And some of our sort of ideas or rhetoric might scare them. Maybe not enough that they would vote Democrat, they'll still vote for us over the Dem, but, you know, in a primary, they, they, they want that sort of Wall Street Journal editorial page stuff, and they still, they still read the Wall Street Journal editorial page. Those are the few people that still read it. But 70-80% of the voting electorate doesn't want that. Now, unfortunately, most of them aren't clued into the who's who and the what's what and often vote against their interests. But you see clearly, when, when they clearly understand what they're getting, they don't want that. But on the other hand, we see most of the party apparatus is still like that. Five-sixths of the U.S. Senate, two-thirds of the House, and majorities of, of legislatures everywhere, sometimes supermajorities, and, and almost every governor still reflects that. How do they succeed? In comes Trump. Trump is the ultimate 
false flag controlled opposition, not just relative to the left, but within the GOP, because it allows them to channel, channel that growing, you know, sort of grassroots angst against the failure theater of the party into a fiesta into the Trump personality, into all the shows. We have more talk shows. We have more movements. We have more organizations than we've ever had. But they're all just dancing around in a circle having a party. When it comes to the policy playing field, um, Congressman Bob Good gave a perfect analogy. We're happy to be in the stadium. We're happy to listen to the music. We're happy to watch the cheerleaders. We're happy to eat the food at the concession stands. The left gets on the playing field, and within Republican politics, it's the Nikki Haley types that are actually on the policy playing field. We're sitting on the outside playing with ourselves. That's what they do. They've relegated us to stupidity. The worst thing for a person like John Corden and John Thune and Roger Wicker and Tom Tillis, okay, and all these guys, is a guy, and Chris Sununu, is for a guy like DeSantis to come around. Because then the game is up. Then they can't just like, yeah, yeah, he's like a joke. He doesn't understand policy. Okay, you do your thing. You have your rallies. You have your rhetoric. We get the policy. As you heard from his voice, and you just, it's not just his voice. You see what he's done. You see what he's about. They're done. They are done. He will force a change. They will either have to create their own party, oh, and, we'll, and we'll bring this out in the open. So that's what today's show is about, more than even like who's going to drain the swamp. I don't know what you're going to do at a federal level, what you're not going to do. But in order to win Red America, we need to drain the GOP swamp. And it's not going to happen without a person from the top. And there is no one else on the horizon that is anywhere close to someone like Ron who could do that. That's the reality of it. You all know it's true. You all know we're not going to get anywhere without that. Try we must and try we will. And, you know, my, uh, my career, I've been doing this about 17 years. You know, it's not going to rise or fall on one man. You know, this has just been mainly a half a year we've been focused on, on this. And even then, I mean, most of my shows are about every other issue. I only spend, you know, I weave it in, but I'm not all into the presidential election. But... To say it's not important and it's not worth just a month worth of focus to try to hustle to win Iowa is is just short-sighted. It's ridiculous. That's what it is. And, and, and by the way, this is why, why do you think Nikki Haley is doing what she's doing? Spending millions against DeSantis, knowing she, she knows she can't win. Refuses to attack Trump. I mean, we all know you speak to Nikki privately. She she would say, like, Trump's a Nazi. They hate his guts. Okay? But at the same time, they understand. That this is what where the McConnells changed course. And this is what the governor was alluding to when he talked about the hall pass. They started to realize, look. After years of failure, we have so much terrible stuff going on. Republican voters have so much anxiety. Okay, they need to see something. So they got smart, and they channeled all of that anxiety. All right, Trump, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Vote for him. Talk about him. Obsess about him. Have all these shows. 
talk about the left, talk about woke, talk about exposing, you know, different things we've been lied to and UFOs and whatever you want. Alex Jones and this and that. And, and, and again, honestly, on paper, most things will agree. Even the more out there things, you know, I'm, I'm pretty hardcore. We've been lied to about a lot of aspects of 9-11. I did a show on that. But the reality is, if you think about it, you look in conservative media, there's unanimity of opinion. No, there's not a single Nikki Haley guy left. Okay, I mean, there's a few of these old guys, but, but for the most part, all of them are, are like, you know, Steve Bannon, these people. Okay, it's great. Awesome. You'd be hard-pressed to find something I disagree with Steve Bannon on. But here's the deal. After all that, you head into this election. Put aside Ron and Trump and the presidential election. I don't see any evidence that a single incumbent Senate Republican, much less House Republican, is going to be knocked off in a primary. I am working on a few. You had a couple on in the House. Think about it. Everyone on their right agrees that the Senate GOP, with the exception of like Mike Lee, Rand Paul, Ron Johnson, um, okay, you want to throw in J.D. Vance, maybe a little bit of Hawley, whatever. I mean, you can get to maybe 10, let's say. But the rest of them, and certainly people like Roger Wicker and, and John Hoven and Deb Fisher and Ricketts, P. Ricketts, just off the top of my head, there's a few more, but those people, they're up for renomination within the next few months. Okay, the cycle is earlier. The primaries are earlier in a presidential year. They're up for re-election. There is no path to defeating them. Why? Why? And again, the few little successes that have come have come from the initiatives of a few smart people that incidentally, most of them are not supporting Trump like Ryan Gurdusky with the 1776 Project with school boards, and Andy Roth with the State Freedom Caucus Network. Aside from that, we have nothing. And those of you who think, nah, DeSantis, I don't know, he's not enough, he's still too establishment. Okay. But then what does that say about the fact that look on the horizon of the governor elections? I want you to look up Google Ballotpedia 2024 gubernatorial elections. Go down the slate of reliably red states that are up for where the governor is up for re-election. And show me whether it's an incumbent or an open seat. Show me the path to getting a single person anywhere near DeSantis's level, much less better. Show me that path. It's not there. There are, there are few people alive in America today that have worked more meticulously since the Tea Party era to try to find ways to change the nature of the Republicans we elect. And I could tell you, what we are doing is not working. And there's a reason for it. And this all comes back to it. Because we have everything in the orchestra except for the melody. We have the icing, but we don't have the cake. We have all these accoutrements. Oh, you come on my show, I come on your show. Oh, a fight on social media about this. Own the left about this. Expose this. And, And some of it might be legit. 
and good investigative work. And, you know, it ranges. Some are just junk calories. Some people do better work. But the one thing that's not done is discernible policy outcomes. So they keep winning. The, the people that ultimately set policy continue to win primaries and they continue to screw us legislatively because we don't have a robust focus on primaries and we don't have a robust focus on legislative activity. That, that is the, rea the reality. And that's the sort of movement that Trump has created. And that is the sort of movement that Ron DeSantis is the best slated and at least committed to changing. Man, I went long there. I wanted to get to you. There's like four examples of how the Supreme Court is screwing us, refusing to grant cert to bad lower court decisions, but then good lower court decisions that we like. They grant an appeal to possibly overturn them. They refuse to, to grant an appeal on the assault weapons and magazine capacity bans in Illinois. They refuse to grant an appeal to therapists in Washington State being banned from counseling uh, kids suffering from gender dysphoria that he's really a man. Refuse to grant cert to, to, to vaccine mandate cases saying, oh, they're moot, they're moot. But then they wouldn't take it up when they were ripe. And then I'm missing one here. Oh, and then the abortion pill. That dangerous abortion pill. Basically, the Fifth Circuit gave a split opinion. So the district judge gave a good opinion that there's there's two things. A, it was unlawful um, mefeprizone, whatever that drug is, that is very dangerous chemical abortion, causes all sorts of things, even by the manufacturer's own data, even on the label of the FDA uh, label. So it, they used an unlawful process in 2020, in 2000, basically, it's only for serious illness. So they had to designate pregnancy as a serious illness, which has a lot of uh, spiritual profundity to it, too, because that's what they view pregnancy. By the way, the birth rates are plummeting. I mean, there's so much data on that. So um, and then in 2016, 2021 and 2023, the FDA illegally just expanded it. So it used to be you had to get in-person visits. You have to go through a bunch of hoops to get it. Now you could just mail it in, get mail in for the drug. So um, the district court ruled that both the initial approval and then the regulatory leniencies were unlawful. The Fifth Circuit reversed in par, said, no, 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 we're, we're going to uphold the approval, but strike down the... Um, regulatory loosening, so it's a middle ground. Okay, then two things. The Supreme Court, first of all, stayed the ruling completely, even on the regulation part, throughout the time. Isn't that interesting? Whenever a judge, a good judge, rules in our favor, there's an urgency, oh, well, that's a big policy change. While we adjudicate this, you gotta stay it. But then when they put ironclad things like on tranny and immigration you know, in contention against the popular will of the legislature, uh, somehow the Supreme Court is not in a rush to intervene and stay the bad liberal lower court opinion. And then a lot of people might have seen, oh, the Supreme Court took granted cert. Let me tell you something. The Supreme Court, so like this, it was the left and the government that was appealing because they want to rever to reverse the ruling even on the regular the regulatory expansion we want to go and reverse the fifth circuit ruling 
and reinstate the district ruling on banning the entirety of the drug and saying the whole approval originally was unlawful, the Supreme Court granted cert to the left to potentially undo the good part of the Fifth Circuit, but not on what we wanted. So a lot of people are confused about that. The Supreme Court sucks. Okay? Outcomes, outcomes, outcomes. That's four examples I can give you in one week, but no one else will give you that sort of analysis. Outcomes, results. We're in pain. We're in pain. So folks, all good things must come to an end. And and look, uh, I wish I could do more, but but again, follow me on our Rumble channel, see our podcast um, with Daniel Horowitz. I'm going to try to do some videos, more, more so the second week when I have more time. I'll be on Twitter. I'll be putting out some more articles on the Supreme Court stuff. Um, I'm going to be focusing on building a legislative agenda for the states. Uh, go to conaction.network if you want to sign up for one of our red state teams. We're having a team leader meeting in about a week to kind of hash out what we can do. You know, the groups are still small. We don't have any funding behind them. But, um, you know, if you are from a state where we have a team leader, you'll be hooked up with that leader and you could offer to help. We need people to um, monitor legislation, to meet with state legislators to put out newsletters, things like that, to raise awareness of good bills and to fight bad ones. And, uh, you know, that leaves, leaves us with Christmas, New Year's break. During this break, we all need to work to rediscover affirmative good, affirmative truth, specific strategies and solutions to outcomes, relief, Psalms 34, turn from bad, but do affirmative good and pursue peace. It's not enough to just say, oh, this is bad, I expose the left. But what is affirmative good? Notice good, it says pursue peace, but what is peace? It says in Zechariah 8.19, love truth and peace, meaning you need truth before peace. A couple verses before in chapter 8 of Zechariah, it says, you know, after God says, you know, what he plans to do for us, restore us, but then what does he request from us? These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth, each one with his neighbor, truth and judgment of peace. You shall judge in your cities, in your cities. You need truth. Stop lying to each other. Stop telling us the pee on our leg is, is water. Stop lying about Trump. Stop lying about DeSantis. Stop lying about the polls and how we're going to win. Like, again, let's say Trump were out of the picture and DeSantis was running. I wouldn't get in front of you and tell you we're going to win Michigan by 10 points. It's just not going to happen. Stop. You can't get the ball in the end zone if you think you already have it there. Let's speak the truth to each other. That's the first step. And then we just need to be reinvigorated with a sense of purpose and direction. Hosea 11.1, for when Israel was young, a lad, it uses the word, the Hebrew word, nar, it means like a lad, when you were young, I loved him, and from Egypt I called my son. It's interesting, the Bible generally extols the wiseness of old age. We don't like the impetuousness of, of, of the young. You, you see it all over, Ecclesiastes, all over the place. But there's still something unique about the fresh idealism of a young lad. A young person doesn't suffer the complacency 
He's not jaded by his own failures. Keenly aware of how far he still needs to go. He's full of fresh strength to give it his all. And he's ready to push himself to his limits and beyond. And that's what we must do headed into the new years. We're going to focus on the state legislatures. We're going to focus on primaries. We're going to pray and, and strategize for new guidance. Again, let's do this together. Follow me on the Rumble CR podcast channel. Join our conaction.network uh, channel. Remember, Micah68. Folks, on behalf of everyone here at Blaze TV, Blaze Media, wish you all a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's, great family time, and let's come back reinvigorated and win. Win for good on the other side. Thank you.